Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I know you've picked up on it that we are a people who believe in the amazing grace of God displayed at the wonderful cross where his mercy is lavished upon us. Well, we're studying together as a church family through the gospel of Mark and in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, the Bible God's word says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Well, let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that when we're prayerless, he's prayerful. Thank you that when we're confused, he has clarity. Thank you when we say we should go this direction, he says, no, I'm going this direction. That he is certain where we're uncertain. Faithful where we're faithless. Thank you that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and save the lost, not live for the approval of other people. Would you use today for our practical help that we would leave equipped to do what Jesus does in solitude and in secret and when no one else is around? We seek your face. We're people of prayer. And we live for the approval of our Father not for the fleeting, shallow, unsatisfying, ever-changing approval of other people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We may be seated. Of course, this is the passage. If you were here last Sunday and you say, well, this is the passage we did last Sunday, and that is true. Uh, Last Sunday we looked at sort of when and where and what Jesus did. Today our aim is pretty simple, but by God's grace, I think if we are together on this, it would be of great practical help. So here's our aim. Straightforward, simple, but full of potential is at the conclusion of the sermon, every person that's here will be equipped to walk out the door and come Monday morning or Tuesday morning or whenever, have meaningful Holy Spirit directed time of word and prayer when no one else is alone. Uh, well, no one else is alone. That doesn't make any sense. When no one else is around, right? I mean, just to not reiterate, but just restate briefly where we were last Sunday is Jesus is going to have all sorts of people coming to him with agendas for him. They're going to have ideas of what he should do. And from our metrics, from our vantage point, things are hopping in Capernaum. Amen? I mean, he's walked into Simon's home, he's healed his mother-in-law, and then the Bible tells us the entire city showed up at Simon's house and Jesus was healing them and doing miraculous works. Now, from our vantage point, we would conclude he needs to stay there. But what did the Bible just tell us? He left from there, right? And here's the deal. I love how our fighter verse of the week comes right into where our study is. What was the purpose for Jesus? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now when Simon shows up 
He's been looking, and we talked about this last week, when the Bible says Simon searched for him, that Greek word, the implication was that it was kind of an angry search, a frustrated search, an anxious search. It's the search that a dad does when he's asked his child to be home at 7, and it's 9 o'clock and they're not back yet, right? It's a search for where are you, and the implication is you're not doing what we think you should be doing. And can we agree on this? We're going to study through the rest of the Gospel of Mark until the cross itself most everybody will misunderstand why Jesus is on planet Earth to begin with, right? And so Jesus has withdrawn and has to a secret, desolate place, and he's praying. And after his prayer time is over, a demand comes his way. Everybody's looking for you. And yet Jesus says, I'm not doing what everybody is demanding. Now here's the secret to Jesus' life. Their demands were not what they really needed. Isn't this true of us? We'll talk about this more in a little bit. The Bible always teaches us things about ourselves. And sometimes the Bible teaches us things about ourselves that we don't like to know about ourselves. And one of the things the Bible teaches us about ourselves is we don't know what we really need. We say it this way sometimes. You know what our biggest problem is? Our biggest problem is we don't know what our biggest problem really is. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to follow his example and and talk a little bit about how to spend time with the Lord alone. Because, friends, if we don't do this, it's inevitable. We'll become spiritually dry, spiritually unhealthy, and very quickly we will begin to live for the approval of other people. And our whole life will begin to be lived on the basis of what other people are demanding. Anybody got demands on you today? Anybody got some expectations of some other people for you today? It's constant, isn't it? So you'll live one of two ways, either under the direction from the Father through his word or the demands of others through their words. What we need are humble, faithful believers in Jesus who spend time in the word and in prayer. Now, I'm going to venture a guess to say to our group this morning, if I were simply to ask you, do you think that it's important in your life for you to read the Bible? Everybody would say yes. And then if I were to ask, do you think it's important for your spiritual health and vitality and power and direction that you pray? And the answer would be, and then if I followed up by simply asking this question, do you do that or how do you do that? Then the confidence level goes down a little bit, right? That's the way we all live. We are a people who say we want to live by the word, but then the day-to-day challenges are real, aren't they? And here's where I think a lot of believers live. Here's where I lived for a long time in my life. I know I should do it, but I didn't know how to do it. Ever been there? I'm there every time a group of men get together and the power tools come out. I'm just going to tell you. I mean, those are effective, powerful tools, but I don't know how to use them. It doesn't matter how powerful a weapon is if you don't know how to use it. Makes sense, right? I mean, I love to read history, and I love military history, and I love to read about uh, aircraft carriers and tanks and, and fighter jets. And those are amazing, powerful weapons, but somebody has to be trained to use it if it's going to be effective. Amen? So what we're going to do is there isn't a mightier weapon on the planet than the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit. But again, it doesn't matter how mighty a weapon is if you don't know how to Use it. Now, the primary purpose for you to spend time in the Word is for you to know God. Because when you know Him, when you seek Him, we see this in Jesus when He's tempted. The enemy, the devil, brought every temptation He had to bear on Jesus, and Jesus walked away unscathed. Why? Because nothing for Jesus meant more than an abiding relationship with the 
father. So we're going to try to be practical today. We want to move from, yes, I should, to actually I want to, because when we begin to spend time in the word and it's purposeful, wild horses aren't able to pull you away from the time. The, uh, it's not uh, something you have to do. It begins to be something that you want to do. So if you've got an outline, I know some of you already looked at it and said, whoa, that's way too much to cover. We're going to move pretty quickly. And yes, you are kind of right, kind of small uh, to fit that in there. I, I know that. But let's begin with this. Donald Whitney has a great book that I would recommend highly to you called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And near the beginning of that book, he makes this statement. It's on your outline. Discipline without direction is drudgery. So this is not what we're aiming for, for a guilt trip to be laid on you this morning, for you to go out and say, well, yeah, I should read my Bible every day, and I don't really read my Bible every day, and I should pray every day, and I don't really, and I don't really feel like praying every day, but I know I should pray every day. So that would be discipline without direction being drudgery, right? We see in this passage some of the scariest words for our own life, rising very early in the morning. Some of us, it's already, I've checked out, you lost me there. Because I know myself very early in the morning. I'm not a fully functioning human being very early in the morning. But we see Jesus very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed. Can we agree that these are willful actions on his part? This isn't something that's just kind of happening. It's purposeful. You might even be able to say it's discipline. Now here's something we got to get over is this assumption that discipline and freedom are not compatible or somehow at odds. Friends, if you want to be free to do anything, you better be disciplined in doing it. Amen? I mean, you just think of as an example. I've told this story before, but um, when I was young and my heart was set on Julie, I overheard her say at youth group one night, I love a man who can play the guitar. Well, that was a done deal. I mean, I went home that night and I said to my dad, Dad, do you know anybody who can give guitar lessons? And uh, he did some research, came back, and uh, here's what he said. I have a coworker who can give you uh, guitar lessons, but it has to be, listen to this, has to be Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. I'm a middle school child. Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Do you know what I said? First words out of my mouth to my dad? Sign me up. Sign me up. We did. Now, now I did go and, and went through that, if you've done guitar lessons, went through that where I got the calluses build up kind of, but it still hurt. And then the guys in the neighborhood, they wanted to go play basketball and I should be doing my lessons and it wasn't long till I just kind of set it aside, right? Discipline without direction is drudgery. But I'll be here. I kind of had this thought this morning as Blake was up here playing the guitar. I kind of thought to myself, man, I wish I'd have stayed at it. I mean, it's just, it'd be great to free to play the guitar. Now, friends, I'm free to pick up that guitar, but I am not free to play the guitar. And what we're talking about is, here's the scripture. I believe it's 1 Timothy 4, 7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's what the scripture says. So it's not purposeful, purposeless. It's not aimless. Godliness means that you're like Christ in your character and that your life, if you want to think of it this way, can make some music, right? There's a melody to your life because you're disciplined in knowing the ways of the Lord and only in knowing the ways of the Lord can you really live. You know, there's a difference between really living and just existing. Some of us are breathing, but we're not really living. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So discipline, sometimes we hear that word and it sounds negative. What's the direction? What's the direction for your life? 
Why is Jesus spending time with the Father in solitude? Have you noticed this? We're not a people who are much equipped for solitude and quiet, are we? I need more. And we can't go three minutes without, well, here it goes. What's on this thing? Actually, I'm going to put that away. I'm just going to distract me immediately, all right? Headlines, messages, beeps, so on and so forth. So Jesus withdrew and he sought the Father. So here's the direction. Here's the incentive. Really know him. Really know God for who he is. Discipline without direction is drudgery. And sometimes people think of Bible reading and prayer in those ways. How are you going to ever be uh, healthy? Or, or what's required for you to be healthy physically? Now, we, we live, you know, there's always the latest diet, the latest fad. And you go to Target, and here's the bestseller, and you do this, and here's this. And this. But it comes down to basically two things, doesn't it? We would all agree on this. What are the two things? Diet and exercise. Now, we Americans are waiting for the day. They'll give us a pill, and it doesn't matter what we eat or how inactive we are, we'll be physically healthy, right? That's what we're waiting for, but that's not possible. The only way to be spiritually healthy is through the word and prayer. They're the diet and exercise, if you want to think of it that way, of the Christian life. So, if you think about Bible study and prayer in the same way that you you didn't like piano lessons, you thought about having to practice. We do want to, we do want to aim to move past that. It's the direction is godliness. Well, continuing on your outline, it's a real simple statement, but I believe it's true. We become like Jesus through regular and meaningful time in the Word and prayer. I had the great privilege of being with the kids at Central Kid Camp over near Black Mountain, North Carolina this past week. And um, we, just had a, we just had a great time. Love Central Kid Camp. But it's yesterday, Saturday, it was time to leave. And I was up and got the guys in my room up and uh, getting them packed. And we got to go load the van. So I get my book bag out and um, reach for my van key. Here's what it was. I didn't have these pants on, but this is what happened. There's nothing in. So I began to look for the... Now, now can you think of anything worse than being at camp and about to drive home and you can't find the key? I couldn't find the key. Began to look for the key. I thought it was in my book bag. I emptied my book bag. Would go through, search the whole place, look everywhere. Uh, I won't belabor the point. I'm back, so you knew we found the key. Uh, finally found my key. It was in a bag in my bag. But we got to the worship service at 1030, and I looked over at Scott and had my little Fitbit. I'd been 12,000 steps between 630 in the morning and 1030 in the morning. That's six miles back and forth all over that camp. Why? Because I wasn't going to stop until I found the key. Why? I've got to get back to this lady right here, right? It's time to go home. What are the consequences? You can't just call parents up and say, sorry, we don't have a key. Your kids aren't coming home. I'm not able to do that. So just real quick, can you think about the consequences of when you don't spend time in the word and in prayer? I just took a minute last night and wrote down some consequences in my life when I'm not in the word and abiding with the Lord. When, when we say word and prayer, what we mean is abiding in Christ, right? You know that's what we're getting at. I get irritable. I don't want my children to have a dad who is always irritable. And I don't want to be a husband who's spiritually disengaged in the home. Do you know what I mean? Like there, but not really there. What are the consequences in your life? Is it your temper? Is it words that are sarcastic and cut? Is it that you're just sort of aimless and, and drifting? 
Now, those words are both important, regular and meaningful time in the word and in prayer. So just give you some practical counsel. First of all, it's going to be this. Establish a regular time and place to read the Bible and pray and follow a purposeful plan. Here's what I mean by that. Tomorrow, when are you going to be in the Word and in prayer? Tomorrow. And if you're not able to answer that question, then I want you to think about, I mean, honestly, really pray and think about answering that question specifically. Here's the 30 minutes. Here's the 45 minutes that I'm going to set aside as a regular time and a place. Now, Jesus, it says he withdrew to a desolate place. Practically speaking, you just need to find a place that's removed from distractions. It might be the front seat of your car in the driveway, if that's where you have to go to be removed from distractions. Might be the coffee shop, maybe. Might be a room in your house. It might be out on your deck. It's just a time and a place to read the Bible and pray and follow a purposeful plan. And by that, I mean you want to intake all the counsel of God, right? So two things real quick. I love this book. I've got an extra copy. I'm just going to leave this on the front pew. This is a book by D.A. Carson called For the Love of God, and it's through the Bible in a year, but the really cool thing is he picks one of the passages. It's helpful for my life that you read that morning, and he gives an explanation of it, just a devotion on it, right? And so you read through the whole Bible in the course of a year. So this is a great book. And then uh, just a simple, straight-up one-year Bible. It's what I've been using most of the summer. Just opens it up. Date, Old Testament passage, New Testament passage, Psalm and a Proverbs, right? The Word of God. It's better than the morning news better than that podcast it is it's better than scrolling through facebook it is this is purposeful plan the purpose is i want to know god and be equipped to be his ambassador in the world right so we're going to do this pretty quick so you're going to hang with me you open up the bible and now what do you do anybody ever been there I think a great place to start is this, and I've, I've had to do this in my life. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Do you know the Bible talks back to you? But you've got to learn to talk to the Lord over the study of his word. So we're going to try to aim to be quick but practical. So you've got an outline here. Number one, number one, read a passage through. Read a passage through. So I do, again, commend to you D.A. Carson's book, readily available on Amazon or whatnot. You can order that book. Uh, one-year Bible, if you don't have either of those, and you don't have to wait to start with those, you say, I'm going to take the Gospel of John, one chapter a day. Gospel of Mark, that's what we're studying, one chapter a day. Those are two great places to start, or First John. Those are, if you say, I don't currently regularly read the Bible, where should I start? First John, Gospel of John, Gospel of Mark. Either you just read a, pa a passage all the way through. Now, here's our first obstacle. Many of you have already thought this. I don't like to, go on and say it. I don't like to read. I don't like to read. Here's how this is resolved. Do you trust God? Honestly, do you trust him? Could God grant you the humility to trust him and that he's in control of all things and he has chosen to reveal himself through the word? Which does now mean you read what he says. Friends, I would encourage you, I would encourage you, don't let the enemy sneak back into your mind and say, oh, you don't really like to read, reading's boring, reading's a, you want to know the Lord. Now, you can get an audible Bible if you want to do that, that's, that's, that's fine. But I'd be hard-pressed to say that you'll ever 
really know the Lord if you don't just develop the discipline of reading the word. Amen? And it's not drudgery because the direction is I really get to know who he is. So first you're going to read the passage all the way through. And again, take a cue from Jesus in Mark 135. He removed himself from distractions. He didn't have a you know, cell phone messaging him nonstop or a television on or Peter talking to him or whatnot. He removed himself from distractions because he wanted to hear from the Father. So go into the word with great expectations. I mean, go in believing I can hear from the living God who is king of kings, knows all things, is in control, and has redeemed me by the blood of the lamb. It's not drudgery. That's a subtle, maybe not even so subtle, it's a lie of the devil to say time in the word is boring. You know what's boring? Television is boring. Don't be convinced and get it backwards. So one, you're going to read it through. Number two... You want to think it out. Now, here's where I would caution you. It is great to read the word, but if you just take John chapter 1 or John chapter 5 and you read it, and that took you all of maybe three and a half minutes, and then you close it and you went on your way, and you're saying, well, the Bible's not really changing my life. I'm not really learning. So, so you did one. That's great, but let's move to number two. You want to think the passage out. Once you've read it through, now you're ready to think. And friends, there is an all-out assault in our day over sober, careful, persevering thinking. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. This I say and testify in the Lord, not to be like the Gentiles who are futile in their thinking, but you put off the old self, which is deceitful and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers but his delight what he really wants to do is meditate that's a thinking word on the law day and night here's what i mean by think it out once you've read through the passage here are six good questions to ask number one the chapter, the section that I just read is, in that passage, is there a sin to avoid? There's something I just read, and there was a sin described in that passage that I need to be on the watch out for in my life. From what I just read, am I warned about something in this passage that I need to be on guard against? Does the sin that I just read about find a home in my heart? Well, we've been reading and thinking through Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. Let's ask that question of this one little, it's not even a chapter, it's just one little section. Is there a sin that we're told to avoid? I think so. He who knows what he ought to do and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. And we just read a passage that we ought to be a praying people. Do you know what a sin is? Prayerlessness is a sin. I think we're warned here about the dangers of prayerlessness. What's the implication? And just really think through, what's the implication if Jesus had not departed, seeking the Father, and there's praying. The implication for your life is if you don't do this, when people come making the demands, everyone's looking for you, you'll receive what other people say as if it were the Word of God. And honestly, for just a moment, see, this is where the Word comes alive. Honestly, in this moment, this isn't the point of the sermon, but it's just, this is how Scripture works. It has an accurate diagnosis. Some of us in the room this morning, that's where you find yourself in life. You have laid aside what God has equipped you and called you to do because you 
you, you're just trying to do what, you're just a people pleaser. They told me how everyone's doing this, everyone, everyone. Well, you got to trade in everyone for the one, amen? What has he called me and told me to do? Is there a sin to avoid? Number two, is there a command to obey? Is there a command to obey? Friends, following Jesus, it's not just about what not to do. It's also about what to do, amen? If you've only experienced Christianity as mainly a list of thou shalt nots, you've settled for a very limited view of Jesus. What's the last command from the scripture you joyfully obeyed? Was it to make disciples? Was it to forgive someone? Was it to seek the Lord? Your days don't get worse and worse as you seek to obey Jesus. They get better and better. Now, friends, that's not to say easier and easier, more comfortable and more comfortable, but they do get better and better. Amen? What is a disciple? A disciple is one who does what his master says. So is there a command to obey from this passage of Scripture? Well, there's not one that's overt necessarily, but I do think we find an example, a command to seek the Lord in solitude. The next one, that's the next one. Is there an example to follow? This whole sermon is based primarily around answering this one question. I just let the cat out of the bag. This is how I study for sermons. Same six questions. What leads to a Bible-based sermon is Bible study. Is there an example to follow? Now, here's where I want to give you a caution. Sometimes the example is obvious. For example, no pun intended, this passage. Is there an example to follow? Yes, Jesus is up early. Jesus full of uh, demands and full of his life is so busy and yet he withdraws to pray. Is that an example for you to follow in your life? Absolutely. But here's the caution. The Bible never gives us examples to follow that we are to do in our own power. Amen? The Bible is not giving you a list of things to do apart from the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. This is very important and it goes obviously for all of these questions. Now, I do commend to you the regular reading of Scripture. In my own life, there have been some days where I've read and I've done this, and there was no earth-shattering moment. But can I tell you, there have been some earth-shattering moments when God the course of my life from the reading of scripture one I'll never forget 17 years old have a little one year Bible and reading along there and got Exodus 33 was the reading now here's how here's how foolish I was as a 17 year old oh I'm ready to be done with Exodus Man, how insane was I at 17 Exodus 33 it's right after the golden calf and God had said, I'm going to send an angel before you to go to the promised land. He'll drive out the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Jebusites, and all those people, right? Don't get caught up in the strange words. But then God said to Moses, but I'm not going to go with you. In other words, you get the promised land, but you don't get me. I sat there reading that, and then I read Moses' response. God, far be it from me that I would lead this people out from here. If you're not going, you can read this, Exodus 33, 15, and 16. Is it not by your going with us so that we are distinct from all the other people on the face of the planet? Is it not by you going with us? And that's when God revealed himself to Moses in a way that the psalmist later describes 
Israel saw God's works. Moses knew God's ways. In other words, Moses really knew him. Why? And I read this and I said, this is my life. And, and not to be harsh or judgmental, I said, I think this is the American church. Because for most people, God blessing us would be enough. But for Moses, it wasn't. In fact, Moses says, God, your presence, your person is your greatest blessing. So if you're not going to go, I'm not going to go. And it's like the ceiling flew off the roof in my little pitch point bedroom. I said, God, that's not my life, but I want it to be. This is an example to follow from Moses in Exodus 33. Yes, don't ever settle less for anything less than the presence of God. A couple other questions. We'll do these quick. Oh, this is a glorious question. And so fruitful in your study. Is there a promise to believe? I reword this every once in a while in my studies. There are also from the world a promise not to believe. You'll find that in the scripture a lot of times too. Right? Is there a promise to believe? And then quickly, but these are important. Change the tone a little bit. Next question is, what does this passage reveal and teach about God? Now, I think this is the most important question, honestly. So if you only have time for one question in your study, make more time. But if you only have time for one, use this one. What does this passage teach me about God? What does this passage teach me about God? I, I love Mark 135. It teaches us about our Savior, Jesus. He wasn't going to be knocked off course, amen? It's good news for my salvation. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't bend to the will of the crowd around him. We all, uh, it, this passage teaches us that Jesus is persistent, he's faithful, he's prayerful, he's unwilling to accept or take on the expectations of others in, places, in place of his own purpose in the world. We're taught from this passage that Jesus is a preacher, and he is committed to proclaiming that message no matter the cost. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. That's why I came out. It teaches me that Jesus knows what he's doing, why he's doing it. We're also taught here that Jesus is misunderstood. Simon had his expectations for Jesus that are not in line with his mission in the world. And friends, I can assure you of this. If you're going to follow Jesus in this world, you likewise will be misunderstood. People ought to be confused by your life. Why did you do that? Why did you go there? Why did you give that up? We are taught that Jesus has authority to preach and authority over demons. And that's just five verses. What's this passage reveal and teach about God? Second, uh, next question, rather, what does this passage reveal and teach about people? Or another way that you might ask that is what does this passage teach me about myself? The Bible always teaches us about God, and then it also teaches us about ourselves. What's this passage teach us about ourselves? We like to tell God what to do. It's true, isn't it? We like to make demands of God that are more in line with our preferences than his purposes. And it also teaches us that even when we're prayerless, Jesus can be trusted to pray. And if you'll really ponder this question as you study the scripture throughout regular times of reading the word, your self-confidence will diminish and your Jesus confidence will multiply. And that will be very good for your soul. We'll keep moving quickly. So much I'd love to say, but that is how you have meaningful time in the word. Read it through, think it out. Now I'm really going to think about this. Again, friends, this is hard for us because we are conditioned by the entertainment culture we live in to be passive spectators of everything that we take in. 
watching television, for example, or screen, watching does something to the brain. It conditions your brain to be a passive learner. Reading is active. And sometimes that's why we have hard time reading is because we'd rather watch. But the reason God reveals himself in his word is because it's active. God's not afraid of you thinking. The devil is afraid of you thinking. So now you think it through. Number three, here's where the word and prayer come together. You pray it in. That's number three. Pray it in. Now, here's where the word and prayer go together like diet and exercise. Do you know this passage? Romans 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. It's an interesting verse because what it actually taught us is if we're not careful when we come together and we start taking prayer requests, we don't actually know what we're doing, right? We don't know how we pray as we all, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So here's how you turn your study of the Word into prayers from the Word. So for example, you're studying a passage of Scripture, and it, you ask the question, is there a sin to avoid? And boy, it laid it out there. For example, you might be in Ephesians 4. It says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only such as fit the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And you're in humility, seeking the Lord and his word, and boom, that's an issue in my life. What's your prayer time? God, help me. Help me today to be someone who controls my words. Does this make sense? I studied an example to follow God. Now when I'm praying, Father, help me to follow the example of Jesus who went to desolate places to pray, God, I don't have a desire to do that. I'd rather do this and then confess. I'd rather, I'd rather look at Facebook first thing in the morning than be in your word. God, help me. Right? You turn your study of the word into prayers from the word. So now my praying isn't aimless. I don't, I don't set 30 minutes aside to pray and 30 seconds in, I'm like, I don't know what else to say, right? So how, listen to the scripture again. Think it through with me. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes. Now, quick question. Who inspired the Word of God to be written? The Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit is going to help you in your weakness of prayer, do you know what he's going to use? The Word of God. That's why Peter said, I will not forsake the ministry of the Word in prayer. Those aren't two different things. It's the same thing. They go, to, they go together. So you turn your study of the Word into prayers from the Word. Number four, we're going to write it down. So if you're going to spend time the, alone with the Lord, I encourage you, you got a Bible. That's the most important. That's the non-negotiable. But encouragement for you. You get a journal. Here's mine. I went through a long season of life where I stopped doing this, and the Lord helped me to recover a desire to do it, I think. So you begin to write it down. It's part of getting older, I just truthfully. Because now... At 10 o'clock at night, I don't know, remember what I read at 6.30 in the morning, right? Adrian Rogers put it this way, the weakest ink is stronger than the strongest memory. David was a man after God's own heart, and David wrote things down. Many of them we call psalms, amen? Paul was a seeker of the Lord, and he was a writer. So you might just write down. That's what I do. Again, this is what you have to do. Write the date. Here's a scripture I read. And then I'll often write down some answers to those questions. This warned me about prayerlessness. This talked to me today about I need to ask the Lord's help with being a, more of a witness in the world. That was one recent one back in February. Made some changes in my life to be more involved in that. Now here's a parenthetical encouragement. 
you're not writing it down to get published. And you don't necessarily have to write it down to post it. Do you know what I'm saying? You're writing it down in secret. You're writing it down because you want a deep relationship with the Lord. Be serious and purposeful about what God is doing in your life. It matters. It matters. When you study the word and we think it out, we pray it and we write it down so that, so that here's what begins to be a benefit. You can go back six months, a year, five years, 10 years, 50 years later. I was talking to multiple people in the last month and they have had passed down from them from a mom or a dad who's passed away notes about what they learned in the Lord and you leave a legacy of faithfulness that might never get published, but man, it matters. And it's an encouragement to the next generation. So write it down. Number five, we got two more, we're doing quick. Number five, and we're going to live it out. This one is important, right? The whole reason we're seeking the Lord in quiet and solitude is for all the other hours we are around everyone else. Amen? I mean, what Jesus did that hour when no one was around had everything to do with everything he did from that point forward. So you never know what a day is going to hold. Well, Jesus did, but you're not like him in this way. Just for example, with the next passage we get, here comes a leper. Serious, serious needs. And Jesus is equipped to beat them. You don't ever know what a day is going to hold. And, and, and friends, we can't go back in time and get the reservoir of God's promises. We can't go back in time and get the reservoir of his example that we need for a crisis that comes that day or an opportunity that you have that day to share the gospel. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to live it out. This is when your life changes, is when you recognize and connect that what he says in the word has everything to do with your life. You begin to live it out. You'll be about the gossip. You'll be about the gossip. Boom. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good. You'll get irritated, and here comes something up, and you thought you were over it, and it comes back, and you'll begin to, you know, maybe this is just me, you'll begin to get frustrated. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I don't mean to be weird about this, but I find the Holy Spirit whispering to me a lot. Be kind. Third day of Centric Kids. Be kind. <laughs> Folks jumped you in the lunch line at Centric Kids. I was waiting to see if anybody else in our group said amen. Be kind. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another, right? Now, it comes for little irritating moments like that, and then it comes for really big moments too, amen? And the doctor comes back and says, I don't know what we can do about this. I have a God who loves me and he's for me. You'll be tempted to doubt God's love on bad days. God demonstrates his love for me when I was yet a sinner. Christ died for me. There is therefore now no condemnation, right? For those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Isaiah 30, 21 begins to be the experience of your life. I'm going to read you Isaiah 30, 21. Love this verse. What we try to do is, is to give a structure. This isn't the only way to study the Bible. There's multiple ways to diet and exercise, but I think this is a good way, and it's been over time, the one that's been most helpful for me. Because I want to get to Isaiah 30, 21. The Bible says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or you turn to the left. Isn't that a great verse? You will hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. When you're about to respond in anger, when a word of grace is, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. 
walk in it. And one more after live it out is then number six, you're going to pass it on. Pass it on. What you learn in times of word and prayer is never just for you. Americans, we've got to get over this. We are so individualistic, and we just think, I want my Bible study for my life and my needs. and my No, no, the Bible, it's never about just you. It's never about just you. What you learn is never just for you. You'll be equipped to love and serve the people around you, not looking to be served or loved by them. Why not? Because your heart's already full of what you have in the Lord. When you saw it, and amen? You think about time in the Word, like getting recharged or filling the tank back up you're freed up and now having been satisfied in the Lord you are the most dangerous thing to the enemy in the world what is that you are a walking talking breathing not needing the approval of other people ambassador of Christ and the enemy will do just about anything to prevent that from happening so now now you go up to the person who's discouraged and you've got a word of encouragement you walk up to the person of unbelief, and you've got a word of belief. You've got to walk up to the person about to quit, and you've got a word of perseverance. You know what I'm saying? You've got a person who's directionless, and now you are living a life of direction. That is how, a way, not the only way, but a healthy way to spend time in the word and in prayer. It's not directionless, but now we can have regular and meaningful time. And here's what begins to be the great blessing of the church. You know, when we get together, if we've been doing this through the week, guess what? We are mighty forth when we all get together. Amen? Start playing these songs about amazing grace, and your mind and your heart will be full of what you've learned that week from his word, and he is, he is a God of amazing. Our praise, our study of the word, and equipped to go out that we can be spiritually mature, purposeful for Jesus' lives. Friends, that last encouragement for you is you may have to begin this with discipline. You might have to begin it with discipline. You might just have to say, non-negotiable, 6 in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, whenever in the morning, before everything gets going, or maybe your job, you're working, it, you, you know what I'm saying, but you just establish a time, non-negotiable, I'm going to be a chapter in the Word, I'm going to think through these questions. So you might have to begin with discipline. But if you will stick to it, friends, I am assuring you there comes a tide turn and it's no longer discipline, it's devotion. It's joy. It's, I can't imagine not pursuing the Lord this way. In other words, you may have to begin by making yourself, but it won't be long because before nobody could keep you from pursuing the Lord this way. Well, the sermon this morning has primarily been aimed at believers in Jesus equipping you to spend time in word and prayer. So uh, we're going to stand right now, and we're going to enter a time of response. We're going to pray together, and then as we respond to the Lord together, you've got a burden, a concern. Maybe you just want to pray and say, Pastor Brandon, would you pray with me that I would be devoted to seeking the Lord in secret and solitude and quiet? be my joy to pray. Maybe you've got another burden, a concern in your heart and your mind this morning. Be my joy to pray with you. You may want to come to the front. Spouses may want to pray together. Families may want to pray together. You might want to seek the Lord on your own. So let's be intentional together about seeking the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel of Mark that we get to study together. Thank you for a wonderful example 
I do not believe, I do not believe Jesus departed and went to a solitary place to pray because he felt like he had to. I believe he did that because it's what he wanted to do. His food, he said, was to do the will of the Father. Father, I pray you'd raise us up to be like that. That seeking the Lord, being with the Lord, learning from the Lord, is our joy. Lord, may it be so. In Jesus' name.